Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for being our awesome God, for being the one who has called us and ordained us and given us such grace and mercy. Thank you for gracing us with your presence, Lord, and for inviting us to draw near to you. And I pray, Lord, as we read your word, as we contemplate the things you're telling us, that you would move in our hearts, that you would quicken us, Lord, to believe things that we cannot believe, and you would enable us to do things that we cannot do. And the impossible things that you called us to, Lord, help us to joyfully uh, move forward in them because you have called us and you will help us. Thank you for all the examples in your word you provide and for this message today, Lord. Thank you that you know exactly what we need and you know how to uh, break through when we are dull. And I pray you would just have your way in each heart and mind today in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll be in Acts chapter 10. If you'd like to turn there to verse 23. Growing up, there was a, a rule in our house. Actually, there were a lot of rules, but the one that I'm going to talk about right now is uh, whatever mom made, you ate without complaining. She was a very good cook. It wasn't like she was a poor cook or anything. She was a great cook. Um, what my dad said, that's, that's how things went in our house. Perhaps you were raised in a house like that. But the, the rules were absolute, even for guests. And the law, if there was a, a guest, would be gently explained and followed through on. Uh, once my mom made spaghetti, this neighborhood boy happened to be over, and the, he, he was told what, how we do things in our house, and we were really happy to have him as a guest. And um, So she made spaghetti, and when the plate was placed in front of him, he goes, ooh, yuck. Now, what happened next was very predictable for those who had been initiated in the Griset household. We, we knew exactly what would happen. We were like, ooh. It was kind of exciting. You know, something was going to happen. And uh, so the plate was instantly whisked away. The boy was directed to the lounge where he was to sit for the remainder of the meal. And he was just stunned. He just, I mean, he was probably six or seven. And he's just like, what happened? So it was a pretty quiet meal. We're eating and I was kind of like, well, he told him. Uh, no surprise to me what happened. But uh, after about five minutes, my dad did something for that boy that he would not have done for any of his own children. He said, since you are a guest in our house, I would give you the opportunity to have another chance and to eat dinner with us. Would you like that? And I was like, uh-huh. So he came back to the table, and his food was placed in front of him, and he had seconds. He was raving about it the whole time. So that was one way that I was like, hey, this, this is how it goes. Uh, but there was another time my mother was trying a new uh, crock pot recipe. It did not quite go as planned. Spaghetti in a crock pot. Uh, and I remember as we gathered around the table, she was laughing as she tried to spoon out this rubbery mass that had congealed. And it was just, my dad saw that on his plate and on our plates, and he goes, well... I think we're eating out tonight. So we're like, yes, this is the best meal ever. Make that again. So the takeaway was the dad who makes the rules and enforces them, he can overrule them whenever it is right to do so. And that day he did. And he was consistent to uphold his standards, uh, but it showed he, he showed grace to guests and grace to us that day. And it made me think about, as believers, we may think we have a lock on how God operates. 
what he thinks, how he moves, what he chooses to do, what grace looks like. We have these ideas. But God's ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. Our small and selfish perspective is often trumped by his grace. Have you, have you been shocked by God's grace before? Have you been amazed? Not that he's gracious to that other person, but that he's been gracious to you. He's been kind to you. God rebuked his people after they had done wickedness in Psalm 50, 21. He said, you thought I was altogether like you. You assumed I'm like you, but I'm not. He's God, and he's so much greater. His perspective is so infinite. And his righteousness coupled with grace, it overrules man's common sense constantly. It made sense to the workers in the vineyard, right? In the parable Jesus told, that those who worked the entire day from dawn till dusk should receive more than those who only worked the last hour of the day when it was quite cool and nice out. Well, yeah, it makes sense. If you work the whole day, you should get more. But the master, he was generous to pay everyone for the full day. And may God's goodness and grace have an impact on us who have arrived at the last hour. That's you and me. We've come at the last hour. We're not the ones who have been laboring all day. We've come at the very end, and God has seen fit to give us eternal life and blessing. So in our passage, um, bringing you up to speed, Peter was staying with Simon the Tanner in Joppa, and there were three Gentiles that came to seek him. Their visit correlated with a vision that was repeated three times where Peter's hungry, he goes on the roof to pray, and he sees this sheet lower down to earth, and it has all these clean and unclean animals in it. And a voice says, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And he's like, no way. I've never eaten anything clean, unclean, or common. And the voice said, what God has cleansed, you shall not call profane. And then these men arrived, looking for him by name. And the Holy Spirit said, go with these men. I have sent them. And he goes down, doubting nothing. So Acts 10, verse 23 then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. Peter went with the two servants and believing soldiers sent by Cornelius to the centurion in Caesarea. He did not travel alone. As he relates these events in the next chapter, in Acts eleven twelve, he says that six Jewish brethren, believers, went with him. So he had a lot of people to support him and to give a, a valid testimony. Just like, all right, let's make sure things are all on the up and up. All seven of them went together. And uh, so after completing that 50K journey, Peter and that company, they arrive in Caesarea. Cornelius, he was a centurion. That meant he, he was in charge of 100 men. They were of the Italian regiment, so they were all Gentiles. He had assembled many relatives and close friends to hear what Peter was going to say. And I like that. He, he believed that Peter was coming, and he had everyone there already. He didn't just say, hey, guys, there may be something on tomorrow. I'll let you know when he shows up. No, they were already there. 
prepared and ready to hear what God would say. When Peter walks in, Cornelius is quite overcome. He bows down before him and, and worships him. He shows him reverence. And while this display of reverence was not uncommon in the culture, Peter corrected his error quickly by lifting him up and saying, hey, I'm a man too, and, and redirected that worship to God. It's consistent throughout all scripture that angels and God-fearing people, they always refuse worship to receive it, and they will direct it towards the Lord. There's something in the human heart that is built to worship and also desires to receive it. Remember Satan when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness? What's one of the things that he asked for? Worship. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And in Matthew 4, 9 and 10, it says, And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He was, un he, he was totally unworthy of worship, but that's what Satan wants. He wanted that um, worship from God. I like what it says in Psalm 95.6, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. He's the only one worthy of worship. He's created us. He is glorious. And worship is really a life that's yielded in submission to God for his greatness, realizing who he is and all he's done and who we are in light of him. We are so below him. We don't deserve to be, uh, to be called by his name, and yet he has reached out to us graciously. Verse 27. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked them, for what reason have you sent me? This is an interesting introduction to say the least. It's really not very endearing, is it? You know that it's really not permitted what I'm doing right now. Um, it's, it's not endearing, but it is honest. He's saying, well, this is the reality. It is against the law for me to be visiting with you, to go into this uh, Gentile's home. And he had taken a big, many big steps, a series of big steps up till this point because he had offered hospitality to Gentiles. He had eaten with them. He had traveled with them. And now he entered their home. These are all like step after step that were way, well, it was illegal according to the Jewish law at that time. And then he admitted he learned the lesson that God's vision was intended to teach. I should not call any man common or unclean. It was quite a leap for a Jew to see pigs, camels, dogs as clean for eating. That was like, whoa. It'd be like you were raised from a child being told you had a severe peanut allergy. And then when you're 20 years old, your mother takes a big scoop out of the uh, the peanut butter and says, eat up, son, enjoy. And you're like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. I'm not supposed to eat this. My whole life I haven't eaten this. I've stayed away from this. And now you're saying it's good for me? Like that? That's a bit of a shock. The purpose behind the vision was not about clean food or what animals were okay to eat. He's talking about people. That was the whole purpose of saying, 
these people that you viewed as unclean and people you are to stay away from. These are the people that God has made clean. He has received them even as he's chosen you. That was just earth-shattering, mind-blowing, incomprehensible. It was very difficult for the Jews to believe that, or imagine that God had and would cleanse the Gentiles and that he would receive them when all along the Jews had had a privileged position in God's kingdom. Peter was shocked by God's grace, but he walked in obedience to it. He said, I didn't hesitate, I came right away. And so he's saying, I, I got the message from God, and I came without doubting right away. Um, because who, who am I to speak against God, to argue with him? And he says, for what reasons have you sent for me? Verse 30, so Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Now the centurion gives his side of the story, how he was praying and fasting four days previous at the ninth hour, that's 3 p.m., when suddenly an angel appeared before him and gave him this message. He gave him a name, an address, and to go get Simon, uh, go to Simon's house, the tanner, and get this Peter to come to Caesarea. And the angel said, when he comes, he will speak to you. Isn't it interesting that Cornelius did not know what Peter was going to say? And Peter had no idea why he was there. And therefore, he had no idea what he was supposed to say. So here's these people that have gathered together. One's called another one. He doesn't know really what he's gonna, why he's there. And Peter has now come all this way, and he doesn't even know why he's there. He's like, why am I here? God knew. God knew what he was doing. He would give Peter the words to say, and he would give Cornelius the heart to believe, the ears to hear. Let me say this, even as the vision was more than about clean and unclean animals, there was more going on in this gathering than Peter bringing some wisdom or a message from God. There's much more happening here than just words or information. Peter had learned from the vision, but there was a lot more that he needed to learn that he would only learn as he was obedient to God to go to Caesarea. God was preparing his heart not only to teach, but to be instructed. As he was going this way, 50 Ks north, I'm sure he was praying the whole time, Lord, help me to know what to say. I don't even know where I'm going or what I'm doing. I mean, if I'm called, I remember the feeling of being called into your boss's office when you get just a very terse email that says, meet me in my office, that's it. I'm like, oh boy, what did I do? <laughs> That's my first instinct, is to think, what did I do wrong? What did I say? Um, you know, the feeling of impending doom. Now, that's my boss and someone that typically I get along with pretty well. Now, this is a stranger who's saying, come over here to my house. Never been there. Have no idea who he is or what he wants. And you've got to deal with this for a whole you know, a couple days of walking. I would have been praying. 
I'm sure Peter was praying. When we come, when God calls us into a situation, and we open our mouths intending to share the gospel, we need to realize we too need to be taught by the Holy Spirit in that moment what to say and how to approach it. And God will even use those who we are addressing to demonstrate the glory of God and his grace. When it comes to sharing our faith, we can feel reluctant because we want to feel more self-confident. It's not that we lack confidence in the message itself, typically, but maybe our lack of knowledge or um, the way that we'll deliver it. I'm sure we could go around this room and ask, you know, well, why? And we'd have different reasons. But basically, we want to feel confident in ourselves. That's typically it. Because if I said, are you confident in God? Well, yeah. Are you confident in his word being true? Well, certainly. But do you feel confident? No. And I want to feel that before I'm willing to, to step out there. Now, our confidence, of course, is to be in God and the leading of the Holy Spirit, the power of the gospel to save. Self-confidence is a failure for a Christian. It's actually hypocrisy because we're to be trusting God, not ourselves, not our knowledge. And Paul called out the proud Jews for their self-confidence. And under grace, the same is true for us. Why don't you turn to Romans chapter 2, verse 17. We could exchange the things that he's saying to the Jews with things that are um, more true to the life of a Christian. And the point of what he's saying rings true. Romans 2.17 Paul writes, Indeed you are called a Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? The perspective of the Jews is that they had a lock on the truth of God. They knew the law. They knew God more than the Gentiles did. And so they felt very confident in asserting, we know the truth. We know what's right. And they were telling people how to live. So he says, you who teach, do you pay attention to the lessons that you're giving? Are you actually following your own teachings? Uh, do you condemn stealing, but you're a thief? You preach against adultery, but you have a lover on the side? And we could say, well, having received the gospel by faith, do we walk by faith? Having received God's grace... Are we gracious to others? Having been forgiven by God, have we forgiven others? It's not enough to have the right answers, but we must live a righteous life. And Peter, he walked in obedience to the Lord. He's an imperfect man, right? He's not a perfect guy. But the Lord, as he was obedient, used him, as we'll see. An enemy of learning is already knowing, because we already know. We don't need to learn anything. But we'll see that Peter was not only obedient, but he was teachable. When he saw something that happened in front of him, he, he took it on board. 
You know, he saw the vision. Okay, I get that message, Lord, and I'm going to walk in light of it, even though it's foreign to me and it feels uncomfortable. And this is way outside my comfort zone. He trusted the Lord and obeyed. So Cornelius, he has that right perspective in verse 33. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. So he saw Peter as not someone to be, uh, I guess, worshipped, but they were before God and to hear what God would say through him. Verse 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, that word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. God had chosen the Jews to be a special people, but Peter acknowledged God shows no partiality. He doesn't play favorites. Abraham, he believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness before the law came. So we see righteousness did not come through the law, but through faith, which preceded the law. The prayers and alms of Cornelius, they had come up as a memorial before God. God saw that, even though he didn't know Jesus yet. And he sent a messenger to speak to him. And Peter talks about Jesus becoming the word, bringing peace on earth. He preached peace to the Jews. It was proclaimed in Judea. Jesus went primarily to Jews to give this message of salvation and the gospel. And Peter affirms that the Gentiles had heard of it. He said, this word you know. You've heard about John the Baptist. You've heard about Jesus. You've heard about the gospel that was preached. But it wasn't preached to the Gentiles yet. It was for the Jews. It was for all people. But the Jews, and some of them mistakenly thought it was for them. And it was their special thing. Christ's coming in his message, it fulfilled what was spoken in Isaiah 57, 19. It says, I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him who is far off and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. How great is that? You don't have to be near to the Lord for him to proclaim peace to you. He proclaims peace to those who are far off and to those who are near, to the Jew and the Gentile the people who are obedient to him and the people who have disobeyed him and walked away from him. He still proclaims peace to those for the end, to the end that they would be healed and delivered. So in 15, Matthew 15, 24, Jesus affirmed he had been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. That was his focus of ministry, was upon the Jews. And after Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead and ascended, the Holy Spirit came upon the Jewish disciples who were in Jerusalem, and they were to be his witnesses where? Well, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Not to Jews only, but to Gentiles. God would use the church to spread the gospel message across the entire world. The uttermost parts of the earth. Peter continues in verse 39. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen 
before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that, through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Peter and all the disciples were witnesses of all that Jesus did. They saw him do miracles. They heard the words he preached. They saw him walk on water. They saw him eat and ate meals with him after he rose from the dead. And after the crucifixion, Jesus was shown openly, but to the Jews, the disciples who followed him through his life. Think about the times where it talks about Jesus appearing in the Gospels. He appeared to Mary in the garden, right? She was a disciple. He appeared to the disciples behind locked doors. He he appeared in the midst and said, peace be unto you. The two who walked along the road to Emmaus, disciples, he spoke to them along the way when he was hidden from their sight. And then he, uh, he called the disciples from the shore while they were fishing unsuccessfully all night long. Then he appeared to about 500 at once when he preached before his ascension. So we see in every case, he did not show himself openly to the Gentiles or the unbelieving Jews. He revealed himself to his disciples. The people who had walked with him, they were the ones who enjoyed a meal with him after his resurrection. The ones who had walked with him and heard him preach from place to place, they were the ones before whom he appeared and he spoke to them. They would be his witnesses. It's like the message of salvation he gave to them to share with the world. Servants who are found faithful are counted worthy of greater responsibility and honor. They had honored him in his life uh, prior to his crucifixion, but after his resurrection, he honored them with his presence. And, And Peter affirms the Jews did not earn their privileged position, nor did he as a disciple earn that, but he had been chosen by God, by his grace. God chose him, right? He was fishing. He was content to be fishing and to run the family business, and Jesus said, follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. Jesus, at a point, he called all who thirsted to come in him to drink. He says, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Those who responded in faith were rewarded with his presence and revelation. Do you realize how special it is to be called and chosen by God? Realizing the privilege of this call is a matter of perspective. God said to the Jewish nation in Deuteronomy 7, 6, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. So God said, you guys are special. You're special to me. I've chosen you. And this being special bred in them a bit of a feeling of superiority over others, that they were privileged. They were privileged. Whilst the Jews will always have a distinction as God's chosen people, God also called Gentiles, right? He didn't call just Jews. He called Gentiles too. Now, I want to take you back to your childhood a little bit. Imagine you had received an invite um, from a schoolmate, so your classmate has sent you an invitation. And it is, the activities planned are going to be epic. 
And you're feeling pretty special because you're like, man, I've always wanted to go there. and I've always wanted to do this. Man, this is going to be amazing, the fun we're going to have. And, and you initially believed you were the only one. And so you really didn't want to tell anyone about it because you don't want to make others feel bad. But then you hear other people discussing the fact that they've been invited too. And you're like, oh, okay. So, And it's not just a couple. The entire class has been invited. Would you feel as special now as you did when you thought you were the only one? Probably not. You'd probably feel a little less special. You would probably, would you be more or less likely to attend if your 30 fellow classmates had also been invited? You'd be like, well, you know, what's my, what, what, what's the difference if I'm not there? There's 30 people coming. If I don't show up, will you really notice? Right? You may be thinking that way. Or maybe you're like, free food, I don't care who's there. I'm, I'm in. Now, what if you found out after you'd been let down a little, like, okay, all right, it's still going to be cool, but all right. The entire school has been invited, including the staff, the teachers. You're like, what kind of party is this going to be anyway? You'd be really scratching your head. What, what's the point of going? This is a weird deal. It doesn't make sense. If you didn't feel special getting that invitation, it's because all the time your focus was on yourself. The fun you would have. The privileged position you have to go to this special event and to do these activities. Because how you are privileged. But if you truly believe the one who invited you is great, if they are the great one, the fact that they have invited others only makes your view of them greater because of his generosity to invite everyone. Because he could accommodate everyone. You're like, whoa. I mean, if you had said uh, to me when I was 12 years old, you know, Michael Jordan has invited you to, uh, you know, his party at his house. I don't care if the entire world was invited. I would have wanted to go because I thought he was awesome. Such a good player. Like a just amazing, I, I would just be like, hey, I was at his house. That's good enough for me. I don't even have to shake his hand. Because he looked great in my eyes at that time. If the one who invites you to his party is the king of kings, would you feel special? If be, being called by Jesus is not special, then you feel you're more special than him. If he's really special, if he's really great, the fact that he has invited you, it's not about you anymore. It's not about your privilege. It's because he's awesome and he's now invited you. And so you feel privileged. You know you're special because he, the awesome one, has invited me and I don't deserve to go. That's the difference. See, our God is greater than all. He has infinite room and resources and time. And he's not like a person who who shakes your hand and says, hi, and then there's somebody else that he has to talk to. And like, well, we got to talk for one minute. That was cool and everything. But no, God has infinite resources. He, We can come before his presence at any time, all the time. And he's like, hey, great to see you. And he can spend, it's like you're the only person in the world because he's that great. He's the great one. It's not because the Jews were great that he called them. It's not because you're great that he called you. It's because he's great. And we can respond to that in worship. And he puts no limit on our fellowship or communion together. Up, oh, time's up. Got an important meeting to go to.
You've got a game coming up. No, none of that. Peter says, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Peter had previously said concerning Jesus in Acts 4.12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that name, Jesus, Yeshua in the Hebrew, it means God is salvation. And Peter said, whoever believes in Jesus, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, man, woman, child, will be forgiven and have their sins atoned and have peace with God. What grace that God would call sinners to be his adopted children. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. While Peter is still speaking, he's about ready to start, you know, getting a bit more into this. And God kind of interrupts him as the Holy Spirit falls upon all these Gentile hearers who heard the word. This bears a striking resemblance to when the Jewish believers had been commanded by Christ to tarry in Jerusalem until the day of Pentecost had fully come. While they gathered in the upper room, about 120 of them, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They spoke with tongues, praising and magnifying God. And all these Jews who had come from all over, pilgrims to Jerusalem, hear these Galileans speaking in their own language the praises of God. And they're like, what does this mean? And they're all running together to see what's going on. And Peter addresses them. He quoted Joel 2.32 and Acts 2.21, excuse me, and it shall come to pass, he who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then, when, that's not right. Let me double check that. Sorry, my notes are a little squirrely. Acts 2. Got to get it right. Yes, that is how he summed it up. But he talks about how he'll pour out his spirit. So in Acts 2.17, It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. He will show wonders. He'll pour out his spirit. And then it will say, and it will come to pass, that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So even in that address, and quoting from Joel, Anyone, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Through the Holy Spirit, Peter affirmed the promise of salvation. The fullness of the Spirit is for everyone. Because in Acts 2, 38 and 39, the people said, well, what should we do? And he said, 
Um, Repent, let each one of you be baptized in the name of Christ Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children, to all who are afar off, as many as our Lord, our God, will call. So even in his words through the Holy Spirit, the, the Gentiles were included. But in practice and in belief, Peter hadn't got that far. So he's talking with Cornelius, these relatives, without human intervention, without leading, without him telling them to do anything, they began to speak in tongues altogether, just like they had those years before, just as the Jews did on the day of Pentecost. And what was their response? Praise the Lord. How great this is. It says they were astonished. They could not believe it. They're like, what? It's obvious they had assumptions about how God worked. That perhaps as Jews, even as they had privileged access to Jesus to walk and to talk with him as his witnesses, well, we are gifted with the Holy Spirit in this way. But now the Gentiles are not behind us in anything because they have received the Holy Spirit even as we did. There's now no distinction that used to be there before God. Through Christ, we are now one. So this is another huge step. So now he's not even at a Gentile's house, but now the Gentiles filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Whoa. Wow, amazing that God would pour out his Holy Spirit on the one previously unclean, apart from God. Now has the Holy Spirit in fullness. Isn't it ironic that Peter met with Cornelius with a revelation from God Yet God revealed his grace and power to Peter through this interaction with the disciple, with the Gentiles. I honestly cannot say who was affected more by this. The Gentiles who now were filled with the Holy Spirit or Peter with this revelation that the Holy Spirit's been given to the Gentiles. They're all learning something. There's something happening that he astonished him. It was beyond his comprehension. Could not have picked it. One thing consistent throughout the book of Acts and all scripture is that God does miraculous, supernatural things which cannot be obtained or experienced through a program or a formula or some convenient to-do list. God's revelation, it transcends assumptions, expectations, even our limited knowledge. Where we just go, how does this work? How great is God that he would do this? And, and then... It's not like we have to change our theology, but we need to say, well, Lord, I don't understand. This blows my mind. Um, teach me. And as Peter was, he, he responded. I mean, he had a solid grasp of theology, but he still had a blind spot concerning the Gentiles. And we need to realize we're very much like Peter. We can have the Holy Spirit within us. We can be a preacher. We can be the instructor. And yet... God does things which should blow us away. The fact he's given grace to us, that ought to shock us. We, we can't let that get old. Um, we can create this arbitrary order of operations that God can choose to overrule at any time. It was like that unexpected night out that we had as a family with the, the failed spag bowl. 
right? We had planned to sit down and eat that thing, and suddenly we're living high on the hog, you know, soup plantation. You guys probably wouldn't know what that is, but it's great, you know, really good food. Um, you know, Cornelius, he hadn't said the sinner's prayer. He hadn't even been baptized yet. He hadn't even confessed with his mouth the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's speaking in tongues. The praises of God in, in languages the Jews understood. So maybe they're just all speaking in Hebrew. And they're like, whoa, whoa, what just happened? At the end of the day, Peter, he would have said, you know, that was all God. That wasn't me. That wasn't my plan. I didn't even know why I showed up, but now I have, now I know. Because God wanted to teach me something. And he wanted to gift these Gentile believers. You know, we're big on evidence. We want to hear someone say something. Like, before we do a baptism, we want to talk to people and make sure they understand what they're doing. That makes sense. But God pours out the Holy Spirit in fullness without this arbitrary order that we can set up. Because he knows the heart. And he knew the heart of those people. They believed. When he taught, he just said the name of Jesus and said what Jesus did and his life. There was a conversion that happened within them. The Holy Spirit came upon them. And then Peter's like, what are we waiting for? If these people, let's baptize them in water. They've received the Holy Spirit even as we have. So he affirmed the Gentiles were not behind the Jews, even though they had not walked with Jesus. They had not eaten with him. They had not witnessed a single miracle that he did. And they had not talked with him after his resurrection. And yet, they had been gifted, even as they. They were all invited to come into the God's presence, and God's presence had filled them all. After Cornelius and the others who believed in Jesus were baptized, they asked Peter to stay for a few days. Though they had been born again, they had a hunger for, for more information, for the Word of God, so that they could know this new life they had entered into. I like what Matthew Henry wrote. He says, those who have some acquaintance with Christ cannot but covet more. Even those that have received the Holy Spirit must see their need of the ministry of the Word. So the ministry of the Word is so vital in our lives. And this is something I really, I am really encouraged by. Praise God that God is not hindered by our ignorance. If God had been hindered by Peter's ignorance or because he didn't say the right thing at the right time, well, then the Holy Spirit wouldn't have fallen on anyone that day. They may have started a new, I don't even know what would have happened, but it wouldn't have been as awesome as what God did. And God was not hindered by the ignorance of Cornelius and the people who gathered. He was able to transcend all of that because that's how great God is. He moved beyond Peter's expectations. He demonstrated his salvation and power gloriously. There's no way that Peter could say what transpired in Caesarea was his plan or his idea. Or if he had to, you know, it gets my stamp of approval. Okay, God, go ahead. God does what he wants and what's good and right. Peter would have once called Cornelius unclean, but God chosen, chose to wash him of sin to fill him with the Holy Spirit. Oh, that we would be so obedient as Peter was. 
so that our short-sighted plans and misconceptions can be overwhelmed by the grace and power of God. Peter once said to Jesus, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Another time when Jesus came near to wash his feet, he says, You're not washing me. Another time, Peter denied Jesus three times on the night he was crucified, or the day before he was crucified. And though, though Peter had told Jesus to depart from him, though he refused to be washed initially, though he denied him, Jesus did not disown him or cast him aside. He came to him, and he even mentioned him when he says, tell all the disciples and Peter that I go before you into Galilee. Such grace, such love and forgiveness in our Savior. Could you please turn to the words written by Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 13. It's good for us to remember where we've come from. And that's something that Peter, I believe, remembered. He was able to appreciate more the grace of God or let's say we are able to appreciate and recognize the grace of God, we recognize how undeserving we are to receive anything good from God. So Paul to the Ephesians, it applies to Cornelius and to us in Ephesians 2.11. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So we were far from God, but he's proclaimed peace to us. We were cut off because of our sin, but he's broken down that middle wall of separation and see the price paid we have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. So it's not through your efforts that you draw near. It's by the blood of Jesus you are brought near. And let us come. Let us come humbly before him, yielded. Realizing we are unworthy. We have no claim upon the kingdom of God. We have no claim upon the presence of God or his Holy Spirit. We cannot say, this is mine out of my goodness. No, it's been given all has been given by God's grace. God's so generous with his time and presence. Instead of feeling slighted by the inclusion of others, let's praise him that he invited us in the first place because we don't deserve it. Praise the Lord that, that Peter would not forbid water to those whom God had cleansed. See, they didn't have to be baptized to be cleansed. They had already been cleansed. And then they were baptized to show that that was the reality. And we who have been cleansed by God's grace, let's not deny fellowship to those God has cleansed and he has saved. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are a gracious and generous God. You've given us time on earth to get to know you, to have fellowship with one another, to rejoice in your truth, to learn of you, to receive these revelations from you, Lord. And and Lord, no matter how much we know, please continue to reveal to us how little we know.
and how much you have to see, how much there is to see through you, and how much you have to reveal. And Lord, I, I am excited that, that your power is not dependent upon my understanding. That you can, you're a savior, and you're gracious, and you're good. And I pray, Lord, that we would be obedient to you, we would trust you, we would rely upon you, and that when you lead us to go somewhere, we would do it. Not even knowing what exactly we're going to do, but Lord, that you would show us. We trust that you will, you will work both in us and through us as you work through Peter and to Peter through this meeting with the Gentiles. Lord, may we not look upon anyone as unclean. May we see them as greatly loved by you, that the same grace that you've extended to us has been extended to them. The peace with God that we can obtain, Lord, it's for them too if they will but come and repent and trust. Lord, help us to be bold in spreading the gospel, not confident in ourselves, but all our confidence being in you, in the power of the gospel, in the power of the Holy Spirit to set the captives free. And we thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin and that you've made us one through Christ. Lord, I pray that there would be great grace among us and that great unity of love would be seen and felt as we minister to you and to one another in Jesus' name. Amen.